0: Well, in case we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is John Carroll. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Hope Covenant. And it's good to be together, especially because today we're kicking off a brand new message series called This Is Us. And the subtitle is The Inescapable Awkwardness and Importance of Community. Because community can be awkward, um, but it's important. And if you've ever been to a church, you've probably heard somebody talk about community and maybe say that community is good for you. You've probably heard this before, that community is good for you, and it is. And there's a scientific journal called the Journal of Happiness Studies. It's published by a group of psychologists who are studying what it is that makes people experience joy or happiness. They find there is one factor that time after time distinguishes more happy people from less happy people. And it's not what you would expect. It's not wealth or intelligence or attractiveness or achievement It's not how many likes you get on Instagram. The one factor they find over and over that distinguishes happy people from less happy people is the presence of deep and meaningful relationships in their lives. And that's what makes people experience happiness. Harvard professor Robert Putnam wrote a powerful book years ago called Bowling Alone. In it, he said this, The single most common finding from a half-century's research on life satisfaction, not only in the U.S., but around the world, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. Just think about that for a moment. Think about your life. Happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. I gave that idea some thought this week, how that's been true throughout my life. And so I started the new school year, so I was thinking about my first day of junior high. How many of you remember your first day of junior high or high school? Just raise your hands. All right, some of you, right? It was probably the worst day of your life, right? Now, I was in seventh grade at Gulfview Junior High in West Palm Beach, Florida. Up until that time, I was at a small private school So now I was the kid at a big public school, and I was scared to death. But I wasn't thinking about my grades or my classes or my academic future. I only had one question on my mind. Who's going to be my friend? Here's the thing. We actually don't grow out of that question. We actually don't get over that question. Research from the Gallup Institute says that one of the strongest predictors of job satisfaction is having a best friend at work who's going to be my friend? The reason we ask this is because community is good for us. We're made for it. If you've been to a church, not only have you heard that community is good for you, that it's a good thing, but you also have heard that it's a God thing. You've heard that community is designed by God. In the story of creation, all the way back in the book of Genesis, we find this really, really intriguing verse. In the picture of God's perfect creation where there was no sin, no injustice, no pain. We read this in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. In all of the goodness of creation, there is this one outstanding not good, and it's aloneness. It's isolation. It's a lack of community. God created woman and thus began the first relationship, the first community, the first family. God made us for community. It's something God designed. Community is a good thing. It's designed by God, but there is a third characteristic that we are probably less likely to talk about in church when it comes to community. And it's that community is elusive. Community is hard to find. Some of you are in a season where it's been difficult to make friends or find connections or feel like you're known or think you're loved. Some of you may have just moved to the area or started going to a new school and you've been thinking a lot about old friends and you're struggling to find new friends, new connections that sort of live up to the old ones. Some of you have been looking for people with whom you can really connect and trust, but you don't have time And they don't seem to have time either. Everyone's in a hurry these days. Some of you are just out of a relationship or a marriage, and it's painful. You're not sure what you should do, not sure what you should say. Some of you are just into a relationship, and you're not sure what you should do or what to say. Some of you are dealing with a struggle or a sin or an addiction, and you're not sure you can trust someone, that you can share that story. Some of you have a calendar that is so booked up, so filled with appointments and events and to-dos and family needs, but you're just going through the motions and inside you're just alone in all of it. Now here's the thing about this, and this is really important. Just because you're with people doesn't mean that you're in community. Just because you're with people, just because you have a lot of connections, just because you have 17,000 friends on Facebook, doesn't mean you're actually in community. Community is a good thing, and it's a God thing, but it can be an elusive thing. And Maybe that's why some of you are here. Maybe if you're honest, you feel kind of frustrated. You're tired of looking for it. Maybe some of you are tired about hearing about it. We can sometimes make community sound so amazing, so aspirational, but it can be painful if it seems out of reach. So for our time together this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to walk through a series of practical how-to questions about community. Now, if you came to church this morning thinking, I want to hear stuff that's just mind-blowing, well, this is going to be a little bit different. okay? And so I want to stay real concrete, real candid, real practical, with five simple how-to questions about community, starting with this one. How do I find community. Real simple thing. Well, the first thing we need to see with this question is how we won't find it. You won't find it unless you do something about it. My family moved from Florida nearly six years ago, and we used to have this incredible community where we did life together, and we were on a mission to find it here in Kansas. We go to church on Sundays, sometimes two or three churches in a single day. We caught the 8 a.m. service at Church A and then went to a 9.30 service at Church B and then raced across town to catch the 11 o'clock service at Church C. Our relentless search for community was painful, but in the end, it led us here, which is still kind of painful. I'm just kidding. We love it here. And we're grateful for what God was doing in our lives to bring us to this point. So, back to the question how do you find community? The first step is to always take the initiative. That's always the first step. I love how Jesus challenged people when they were craving something, hungry for something, desired something. He challenged them to take a step. Listen to what he says He says, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Notice that each one of these results hinges on a personal action, a personal step of initiative. This is especially important in our relationships. Finding community starts with seeking. And I know this can seem really basic, really simple, but for some of you, God brought you here this weekend just to hear this. You've got to take a step. You need to step out. You need to take a risk. Maybe that means the Sunday morning Bible immersion hour, and it's not too late to sign up. Maybe it's in getting involved in a hope group or small groups here. Or maybe it's the Tuesday evening intentional discipleship group. Maybe it's simply introducing yourself to three people before you leave today. If you're an introvert, make it just one. Just one is enough. But here's the thing. Your experience at Hope Covenant is gonna be based more on your initiative than the quality of our programs or ministries. Take the initiative. Maybe God has something surprising in store for you. The first question is, how do I find community? Next question is, how do I build community? And I've been looking for it. I've been taking those steps. I've been reaching out. I've been having conversations. How do I build it? How do I make it stick? This question can seem like it would be just common sense. But you'd be surprised at how many really smart, competent, educated people can almost sabotage community before it even begins to take root. Too often we approach community from a particular posture. We approach community with this question. What can I get out of this? What can I get out of this community? What can these people do for me? How will this community meet or serve my needs? Do these people look like the kind of people I want to be friends with? when we do this, it's very subtle. But this shift happens where we turn community into a commodity. We turn community into a commodity. Community becomes something we want to use or consume or store for ourselves to help us feel better about ourselves, which can kill community before it even has a chance to start. To build community, to break through that level of superficial connections and acquaintances, our attention, our question, our posture should shift from what can I get out of this to what can I give to this. It's just so simple, but it's so life changing. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about the first practice we need to bring to community in order to build it. The first thing we need to do, listen to what he writes. He said, The first service one owes to others in fellowship consists in listening to them. And I get frustrated because I want this to be like rocket science, you know, or like super spiritual and deep. The first thing we're supposed to do, the main priority we bring at the beginning, is just listening, attending to someone else, being focused on someone else's stories, their questions, their needs. Then listen to what he says. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking when they should be listening. Ouch. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, this is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. This is how serious this is. In the end, there is nothing left but spiritual chatter and clerical condensation arrayed in pious words, in godly words. Have you ever been around a Christian who just loves to hear themselves talk? Years ago, I was in a small group for married couples, and there was this guy who was, always had something to say about the scriptures or about sports or politics or religion to the point where no one else could get a word in edgewise, and everybody was annoyed. Until finally, Amber told me I just needed to shut up You know, it's this very subtle but essential shift. When we come into the presence of others, what question are you asking? What can I get out of this? Or what do I have to offer? Am I excited about everyone getting to know me and my stories? Or am I here to learn about their stories, their struggles, their questions, their perspective? I have a friend, Keith, who every time we talk says the same thing. He says, hey, John, catch me up on you first. It was convicting as I thought about that because that's not how I actually approach community in my life. My first instinct is so often, what can I get out of this? What's in it for me? It's really important to understand that Scripture teaches us to actually approach this from a posture of listening. In the New Testament, James writes this. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Well, who does this apply to? Everyone. It doesn't matter if you're the leader. It doesn't matter if you've been in the group the longest. It doesn't matter if you feel like you know more. It doesn't matter if you feel like someone else doesn't know enough and you have all the answers. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And here's my challenge to you. Right in your community, as you're trying to build it, try this step especially if you feel like you struggle to make connections. Just ask questions. Get to know people. Remember their stories. Ask them about it next time you see them. And when this really starts working, something really amazing happens. You'll find that you have people in your life who want to listen to you and who want to know your stories, who want to be with you in your struggles. How do we build community? We listen. We lean in. We start with a posture of attending to others. And that leads us to our third how to question How do I deepen community? One of the most common statements or observations and questions I hear from our hope groups is a real simple one it's folks who say, I want to go deeper. How do we go deeper? How do we have more significant conversation or more, or be more connected or closer? How do we have that kind of intimacy epiphany? Now, some of you have community. Maybe you're in a hope group and you meet regularly with others. You have spiritual conversations, but you're wrestling with this sense of how do we actually go deeper together? And I can tell you that I've been in small groups and community groups where we've tried a number of different things things to get to that level of depth. We've changed how we study scripture. We've read different books. We've tried new curriculum. And all of those practices are valuable. They can all be helpful. But there was one thing that stood out as the breakthrough that transcended all those other attempts, attempts to bring depth. It's what Bonhoeffer calls active helpfulness. Active helpfulness. If you want depth in your community, it's this idea of being helpful. He defines helpfulness this way. He says, it's the simple assistance in trifling external matters. The simple assistance in trifling external matters. And I have to say, I find this so frustrating because I want depth about these kinds of, like these kinds of deep moments of community, these mountaintop moments of community. And he says, no. If you want deep community, be there. Show up, even when it seems insignificant. Someone needs a ride to the airport. Someone needs a last second favor. Somebody needs a babysitter. You see, the way we bring depth to community is not by our attempts to go deeper, the way we bring depth is by showing up and helping out. It's as simple as that. Several weeks ago, a gigantic tree fell down in Shelley Tyson's backyard, and it wrecked her fence and her shed. And I mean, it could have been worse. It could have landed on her house, but this tree was huge and needed to be removed. So several people from our church, including Blake Van Alken, Bryce Barkus, Cecil Taylor, Brady Sharp, Cody Wittenberg, as well as Jim and Brian and Kyle and Kelsey and Kara McLaren. I guess Kayla was busy doing something else. They all came over, and they helped cut the tree up and remove it. But here's the thing. We live in a culture where we worship our time. Our time is our treasure. There's a real popular saying around this idea. Most of you know it. We say, time is what? Money. Time is money. Our time is the most important thing. We feel it's so costly just to give up a few moments of time. But the greater cost comes when we aren't willing to give up that short term time to be there, to be helpful, at the expense of long term community. Listen to how the writer of Ecclesiastes paints this picture. He says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. It's actually more efficient. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. And then he writes, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Have you ever seen anyone fall or struggle? Maybe go through a moral failure and have no one to stand with them? Have you ever seen a couple struggle, maybe fall in their marriage and they had no one to partner with them? Have you ever seen someone fall financially and have no one to be there with them? Maybe a more important question. Who is there to help you when trouble comes your way? Because one day, trouble will come. You see, here's the thing. When trouble comes, you don't just need people who are there. You need people who are already there. They already know you. They're already in your life. There's already relationship. There's already trust. When trouble comes, you may not know what you need. You may not be able to ask for it. There's no app that you can download to provide it for you instantly. You need people who are already there. But you don't arrive at that kind of community without giving your time, without helping out, without showing up, even at times when it feels insignificant, like it doesn't really matter. Helping one another is how we grow deeper roots of community. Okay, fourth question. How do I preserve community? How do I preserve community? It's an interesting one. For some of you, you have a really good community thing going. Some of you have a hope group or a community, and you meet together, and you know each other's stories, and you can finish each other's sentences, and you study scripture, and you eat, and you pray, and you play, and you have it all down. It's like you're in the Hall of Fame for small groups. And some of you are blessed with that. When you get into seasons like that, this strange dynamic begins to emerge in community. We begin to think, how do we protect this dynamic? It's such a good thing. The problem is, that's when community is most at risk. That question is, what makes community at risk of getting stale, of being cliquish, of being insider-focused? It's kind of counterintuitive. If you want to preserve the quality of community, you have to disrupt it by inviting others in. When Jesus called his 12 disciples together into community, never once did he say, don't mess up this dynamic. Don't ruin this community. We've got kind of a neat thing going. He said, go, invite people in, make disciples, multiply your circles, bring the wrong people in. He did that himself. He was constantly pulling people in who looked differently who looked like the wrong fit. Hey, Jesus, how are we going to have a good conversation at dinner if you bring the wrong person in? That's exactly how they had good conversation. And that's our challenge as well. If you've been in the same group with the same people for years and years, disrupt it, mess it up. It could mean bringing someone in or splitting into different groups or starting a new group altogether. And if you're new here, if you're not sure about this Jesus thing, if you're trying to discover what's all this Christianity about, do us Christians a favor. We need you. Sign up for a group, okay? We need you. That's how you preserve community. Last question. How do I sustain community? How do you sustain community for the long haul? How do you sustain it? If you're blessed to find it, if you're so blessed to be experiencing it now in your life, how do you sustain it? It's easy in our culture today to assume that you sustain relationships primarily with people whom you have commonality or common interest. Things like sports or arts or activities. Maybe people who are similar or at a similar stage in life, or maybe they're single or married or they have kids at the same age. And those are important connections, and we need those commonalities. We need them to help us understand how to move through the seasons of life that we may be in. But here's the thing. Common interest or commonality does not hold community together. You know what does? Forgiveness. Again, it's so counterintuitive. Commonality, common interest, smoothness, that sense of that it's so easy to connect doesn't actually hold community together. It's what we do when someone hurts us, it's how we respond when there's tension or brokenness. Forgiveness is what creates sustainable community. And we're gonna look at the topic of forgiveness in a few weeks, but just for today, I have a quick question, just a moment of honesty, a moment for all of us to confess. How many of you have a person in your life who you don't like? Now, don't look at them, okay? All right. But just by show of hands, how many of you have a person in your life who you don't like? Just raise your hands nice and tall. Okay. I me too. I'm raising my hand because I fit in that category, all right? One of the areas I think Christians are weakest in is dealing with relationships where there is tension or frustration. We don't like somebody. We want to say something, but we don't know how to say it. A friend of mine told me about a conflict with one of his friends, and it wasn't even a major one, but they never talked about it. Now they just pass by one another in the community. I mean, they're nice, and they're polite, and they're, they're uh, you know, cordial to each other. But they just kind of pass by. And there's no more laughter or depth of conversation, no joy, no doing life together. They never talked about it. And it sounds so mundane, But this happens all the time. Someone hurts your feelings. Someone lets you down. Someone talks about you behind your back. Someone betrays your trust. And in that moment, you think, gosh, community's been broken. And you want to step away. You want to back up. You want to protect yourself. And then then this divide happens. This distance happens. And it's in that moment that we, we believe deep down that because of sin, because of that action community has been crushed community is broken but it's not it's actually the opportunity the open door for community to begin listen to this the very moment you think community is broken can be the moment that community is finally built this is so so important We live in a world where social connections and acquaintances and having fun together and commonality can feel like we're in real community. And then something happens. We divide. We walk away. We leave that division. The moment you think community is broken can become the moment that real community, the community that you're made for, the community you desire is finally built. It's not through avoiding sin. It's through forgiving it. Listen to how Bonhoeffer describes it. This is so powerful. He says this, Here, in that moment of sin or pain, the Christian suffers the rupture of his fellowship with the other person that has had its basis in Jesus Christ. But here, too, it is only in bearing with him that the great grace of God becomes wholly plain to cherish no contempt for the sinner, but rather to prize the privilege of bearing him means not to have to give him up as lost, but to be able to accept him and to preserve fellowship with him through forgiveness. To preserve fellowship with him through forgiveness. You see, it's not when things are going smooth, it's when things are painful, when relationship feels broken, that the great grace of God can become wholly plain in your life. And this gets really practical and really personal for many of you. Some of you right now are holding something against someone in your community. It could be a close friend, maybe somebody in your family, maybe somebody that you work with. Again, this first instinct is to let that brokenness tempt you to believe that community has been broken, that it's over. And then there's this distance and quiet and politeness that begins to emerge. The only way we, to sustain community, whether it's in a friendship or in a marriage or a family or a ministry or a hope group, is through forgiveness, through bearing the burden of someone else's sin in forgiving. Why? Because this is what God has done for you. He didn't let your sin create distance that was insurmountable. He took the initiative. He bore your sin. And I love how the Apostle Paul kind of puts, this, uh, puts these two things together. This is in Colossians. He says, bear with each other. Isn't that challenging just to think about? Just to bear with each other? Sometimes this is the best we can do. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Amber talked about the one another faith last week. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Is there anything you can do that God could not forgive? No. What good news is this? Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to lean into that this weekend. The corollary is also true. Is there anything anyone can do to you that you can't forgive? No, not by your strength and not by your determination and not by your willpower, but because you've experienced the community God has offered you with him through his forgiveness in your life. You know, Jesus experienced true loneliness on the cross so that you don't don't have to be alone. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I don't know what story you bring to this morning. And I don't know your struggle, what pain you're going through. And I don't know which person comes to mind when I say that you're holding something against someone. But I know a few things. I know what it's like to move to a new area and feel like an outsider for a season. Loneliness is a real problem for us today. So we're going to be spending some time during the series talking about that too. I know that sense of wondering, will I belong? Will I have a friend? Will people like me? Will I be included? I I know how awkward and painful it can be to try to break through that. I also know there is a God who did not leave us in our aloneness. I know there is a God for whom community with us was never elusive through the person of his son, Jesus. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you today. You don't have to be alone anymore. I don't want you to be alone anymore. I don't want the people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your schools to be alone anymore. God has done something about it. And now for you, maybe it's time for you to do something about it too. And I want to close with a moment of personal commitment of taking the next step. If you would, just for a moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're just gonna have a moment in quiet. Some of you are feeling some really different emotions about this. Maybe again for you, it feels like community has been this elusive thing. And you don't know how to find it. And God is telling you, to just take a step, take a risk. Some of you right now are feeling a little convicted that you've approached community with this kind of consumer, what's in it for me posture. Maybe it's time to look someone in the eye and think, what about them? Some of you are thinking, how do we go deeper? But you just don't have time to give. Maybe that's just it. You just need to give some time to show up, to be present in people's lives. Maybe that's the step God's calling you to take. Some of you are in great community, but it's getting stale or getting superficial. And you need to preserve it by bringing someone in, by disrupting it a little bit. Maybe God is calling you right now to take that step this week. Some of you right now feel that not in your soul, you're holding something back. You're holding that sense of bitterness or resentment against someone. And you can't sustain community if you're carrying that. And Right now, I want to challenge each of you to ask God, which step are you calling me to take? Commit to him. Say, God, I'm going to take a step this week, just one little step. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm going to take one little step this week in pursuit of the community that is a good thing that you've designed for my life. Jesus, we offer up these simple commitments, not because it's up to us, but because you've invited us to seek so we might find and to ask so we might receive Jesus, we need you this week to walk with us as we take these steps into community, into relationship, into forgiveness, into invitation, into being there for people. We need you this week like we've needed you no other time to give us the courage and strength and confidence to take that necessary step. We thank you, Jesus, for taking that first step for us to initiate, to draw near, to be with us, to bear with us, and to forgive us. I ask that you give us the courage as we take a step this week. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.